Chapter Five of In the Mayor's Parlor by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sleeping Fires. Already interested in the Crude family because what he had seen of Simon Crude and his niece on the previous evening, Brent looked closely at the man whom Peppermore pointed out. There was no resemblance in him to his brother, the alderman. He was a tall, spare, fresh-coloured man, apparently about fifty years of age, well-bred of feature, carefully groomed, something in his erect carriage, slightly swaggering air, and defiant eye suggested the military man. Closer inspection showed Brent that the grey tweed suit, though clean and scrupulously pressed, was much worn, that the brilliantly polished shoes were patched, that the linen, freshly laundered though it was, was far from new. Everything, indeed, about Crevin Crude suggested a well-kept man of former grandeur. "'Decayed old swell, that's what he looks like, eh, Mr. Brent?' whispered Peppermore, following his companion's thoughts. "'Ah, they say that once upon a time Kevin Crude was the biggest buck in Hathelsborough, used to drive his horses and ride his horses and all the rest of it. And now come down to that.' He winked significantly as he glanced across the room, and Brent knew what he meant. Crevin Crude, lofty and even haughty in manner as he was, had lounged near the bar and stood looking around him, nodding here and there as he met the eye of an acquaintance. "'Wait until somebody asks him to drink,' muttered Peppermore. "'Regular sponge he is, and once used to crack his bottle of champagne with the best.' "'What's the story?' asked Brent, still quietly watching the subject of Peppermore's remarks. "'Oh, the old one,' said Peppermore. "'Kevin Crude was once a solicitor and town clerk, and, as I say, the biggest swell in the place, making his couple of thousand a year, I should think. Come down in the usual fashion, drink, gambling, extravagance, and so on, and in the end they had to get rid of him, as magistrate's clerk, I mean.' It was impossible to keep him on any longer. He'd frittered away his solicitor's practice, too, by that time, and come to the end of his resources. But Simon was already a powerful man in the town, so they, he and some others, cooked things nicely for Crevin. Crevin Crude, Mr. Brent, is one of the hassles for abuses that your poor cousin meant to rid the ratepayers of. Fact, sir. How? asked Brent. "'Well,' continued Peppermore, "'I said that Simon and some others cooked things for him. "'Instead of dismissing Crevin for incompetence "'and inattention to his duties, "'they retired him with a pension. "'Crevin Crude, sir, draws a hundred and fifty-six pounds a year "'out of the revenues of this rotten little borough, "'all because he's Simon's brother. "'Been drawing that three pounds a week for fifteen years now. "'It's a scandal. "'However, as I say, he once had two thousand a year. A difference, remarked Brent. Aye, well, he adds his bit to the three pounds, said Peppermore. He does odd jobs for people. For one thing, he carries out all Dr. Wellesley's medicines for him. And he shows strangers round the place. He knows all about the history and antiquities of the castle, St. Hathelswyd, St. Lawrence, and the Mood Hall, and so on. A hanger-on, and a sponge, that's what he is, Mr. Brent. 
but clever as clever sir as he's unprincipled the crude seem to be an interesting family observed brent who is that girl that i saw last night the alderman's niece is she by any chance this chap's daughter queenie said peppermore pretty girl too that mr brent no sir she's this chap's niece and simon's she's the daughter of another crude ben crude ben's dead he never made anything out either died i believe as poor as a church mouse simon's the moneyed man of the crude family the old rascal rolls at brass as they call it here so he took queenie out of charity and i'll bet my sunday hat that he gets out of her the full equivalent of all that he gives her catch him giving anything for nothing you don't love alderman crude suggested brent peppermore picked up his glass of bitter ale and drank off what remained he set down the glass with a bang wouldn't trust him any farther than i could throw his big carcass he said with decision nor any more than i would crevin there bad uns both of them but hullo as nobody's come forward this morning crevin's treating himself to a drink that's his way he'll get his drink for nothing if he can but if he can't he's always got money old cadger brent was watching crevin crude as peppermore had just said nobody had joined crevin at the bar and now he was superintending the mixing of a drink which one of the shirt-sleeved barmen was preparing for him presently glass in hand he drew near a little knot of men who in the centre of the room were gossiping in whispers one of the men turned on him well and what's sir oracle got to say about it he demanded with something like a covert sneer you'll know all about it crevin i reckon what's your opinion crevin crude looked over the speaker with a quiet glance of conscious superiority however much he might have come down in the world he still retained the manners of a well-bred and educated man and brett was not surprised to hear a refined and cultured accent when he presently spoke if you are referring to the unfortunate and lamentable occurrence of last night mr spelliker he answered i prefer to express no opinion the matter is subiudice latin sneered the questioner ay you can hide a deal of truth away behind latin you old limbs of the law but i reckon the truth'll come out all the same it is not a legal maxim but a sound old english saying that murder will out remarked crevin quietly i think you may take it mr spelliker that in this case as in most others the truth will be arrived at i well if all accounts be true it's a good job for such as you that the mayor is removed said spelliker half insolently they say he was going to be down on all you pensioned gentlemen what that again is a matter which i do not care to discuss replied Grevin. he turned away approaching a horsey-looking individual who stood near good morning mr gates he said pleasantly got rid of your round cob yet if not i was talking to simpson the vet yesterday i rather fancy you'd find a customer in him peppermore nudged his companion's arm brent leaned nearer to him not get any change out of him whispered peppermore cool old customer isn't he subiudice eh good and yet if there's a man in all hathelsborough that's likely to know what straws are sailing on the undercurrent mr brent 
Crevin Crood's the man. But you'll come across him before you're here long. Nobody can be long in Hathelsborough without knowing Crevin. They left Bulls then, and after a little talk in the marketplace about the matter of paramount importance, Brent returned to the Chancellor, thinking about what he had just seen and heard. It seemed to him, now more assuredly than ever, that he was in the midst of a peculiarly difficult maze, in a network of chicanery and deceit, in an underground burrow full of twistings and turnings that led he could not tell whither. An idea had flashed through his mind as he looked at Crevin Crood in the broken man's brief interchange of remarks with the half-insolent tradesman, an idea which he had been careful not to mention to Peppermore. Crevin Crood, said Peppermore, was mainly dependent on his pension of three pounds a week from the borough authorities, a pension which of course was terminable at the pleasure of those authorities. Wallingford had let it be known, plainly and unmistakably, that he was going to advocate the discontinuance of these drains of the town's resources. Crevin Crood, accordingly, would be one of the first to suffer if Wallingford got his way, as he was likely to do. And Peppermore had said further that Crevin Crood knew all about the antiquities of Hathelsborough, knew so much, indeed, that he acted as Cicerone to people who wanted to explore the castle and the church and the moot hall. Now, supposing that Crevin Crood, with his profound knowledge of the older parts of the town, knew of some mysterious and secret way into the mayor's parlour, and had laid in wait there, resolved on killing the man who was threatening by his reforming actions to deprive him of his pension? It was not an impossible theory and others branched out of it. It was already evident to Brent that Simon Crood, big man though he was in the affairs of the borough, was a schemer and a contriver of Mole's work. Supposing that he and his gang had employed Crevin Crood as their emissary? That too was possible. Underground work. There was underground work all round. Then, thinking of Alderman Crood, he remembered Alderman Crood's niece, her request to him, his promise to her. He had been puzzled, not a little taken aback, by the girl's eager, anxious manner. She had been quiet and demure enough as she sat by Simon Crood's fire, sewing in silence, a veritable modest mouse, timid and bashful. But in that big, gloomy hall her attitude had changed altogether. She had been almost compelling in her eagerness and Brent had wondered ever since, at intervals, whatever it could be that she wanted with him, a stranger. But it was near three o'clock now, and instead of indulging in further surmise, he went off to meet her. Hathelsborough Castle, once one of the notable fortresses of the North, still remained in an excellent state of preservation. Its great Norman keep formed a landmark that could be seen over many a mile of the surrounding country, Many of its smaller towers were still intact, and its curtain walls, barbican, and ancient chapel had escaped the ravages of time. The ground around it had been laid out as a public garden, and its great courtyard turned into a promenade, set out with flower-beds. It was a great place of resort for the townsfolk on summer evenings and on Sundays, but Brent, coming to it in the middle of the afternoon, found it deserted, save for a few nursemaids and children. He went wandering around it, and suddenly caught sight of Queenie Crood. 
She was sitting on a rustic bench in an angle of the walls, a book in her hand. It needed little of Brent's perception to convince him that the book was unread. She was anxiously expecting him. "'Here I am,' he said, with an encouraging smile, as he sat down beside her. "'Punctual to the minute, you see.' He looked closely at her. In the clearer light of day he saw that she was not only a much prettier girl than he had fancied the night before, but that she had more fire and character in her eyes and lips than he had imagined. And though she glanced at him with evident shyness as he came up, and the colour came into her cheeks as she gave him her hand, he was quick to see that she was going to say whatever it was that was in her mind. It was Brent's way to go straight to the point. "'You wanted to speak to me,' he said, smiling again. "'Fire away, and don't be afraid.' The girl threw her book aside, and turned to him with obvious candour. "'I won't,' she exclaimed. "'I'm not a bit afraid, though I don't know whatever you'll think of me, Mr. Brent, asking advice from a stranger in this barefaced fashion.' "'I've had to seek advice from strangers more than once in my time,' said Brent, with a gentle laugh. "'Go ahead.' "'It was knowing that you came from London,' said Queenie. "'You mightn't think it, but I never met anybody before who came from London. "'And I want to go to London. I will go.' "'Well,' remarked Brent slowly, "'if young people say they want to go to London, "'and declare that they will go to London, "'why, in my experience, they end up by going. "'But in your case, why not?' "'The girl sat silent for a moment, staring straight in front of her, at the blue smoke that circled up from the quaint chimney-stacks of the town beneath the castle. Her eyes grew dreamy. "'I want to go on the stage,' she said at last. "'That's it, Mr. Brent.' Brent turned and looked at her. Under his calm and critical inspection she blushed, but as she blushed she shook her head. "'Perhaps you think I'm one of the stage-struck young women,' she said. "'Perhaps you are wondering if I can act. Perhaps—' "'What I'm wondering,' interrupted Brent, "'is if you know anything about it. Not about acting, but about the practical side of the thing, the profession. A pretty stiff proposition, you know.' "'What I know,' said Queenie Crewe determinedly, "'is that I've got a natural talent for acting. And I'd get on, if only I could get away from this place.' I will get away, if only somebody would give me a bit of advice about going to London and getting, you know, getting put in the way of it. I don't care how hard the life is, nor how hard I'd have to work. It would be what I want, and better than this anyway. You aren't happy in this town, suggested Brent. Queenie gave an eloquent glance out of her dark eyes. Happy, she exclaimed scornfully. "'Shut up in that house with Simon Crood, would you be? "'You saw something of it last night. "'Would you like to be mewed up there, day in, day out, year in, year out, "'with no company beyond him and those two cronies of his, "'who are as bad as himself, mean, selfish, money-grubbers? "'Oh!' "'Isn't your uncle good to you?' asked Brent, with simple directness. He's been good enough in giving me bed and board and clothing since my father and mother died six years ago, answered the girl, and in return I've saved him the wages of two servants he ought to have. But you think I want to spend all my life there doing that sort of thing? I don't, and I won't. 
and I thought when I heard that you were a London man and a journalist that you'd be able to tell me what to do to get to London. Help me, Mr. Brent. She involuntarily held out her hands to him, and Brent, just as involuntarily, took them in his. He was a cool and not easily impressed young man, but his pulses thrilled as he felt the warm fingers against his own. By George, he exclaimed, if, if you can act like that. I'm not acting, she said quickly. Well, well, I didn't say you were, he answered with a laugh. Only if you could, but of course I'll help you. I'll find out a thing or two for you. I don't know much myself, but I know people who do know. I'll do what I can. The girl pressed his hands and withdrew her own. Thank you, thank you, she said impulsively. Oh, if you only knew how I want to get away and breathe, that house. Look here, interrupted Brent. You're very candid. I like that. It suits me. Now, frankly, you don't like that old uncle of yours? And just why? Queenie looked round. There was no one near them, no one indeed in sight except a nursemaid who wheeled a perambulator along one of the paths, but she sunk her voice to something near a whisper. Mr. Brent, she said, Simon Crood's the biggest hypocrite in this town, and that's implying a good deal more than you'd ever think. He and those friends of his, Mallet and Coppinger, who are always there with him. Ah, they think I know nothing and understand nothing, but I hear their schemings and their talk, veiled as it is. They're deep and subtle, those three, and dangerous. Didn't you see last night that if you'd sat there till midnight or till morning, you'd never have had a word out of them, a word, that is, that you wanted? You wouldn't. They knew better. I got nothing out of them, admitted Brent. He sat thinking in silence for a time. Look here, he said at last. You know what I want to find out. Who killed my cousin? Help me. Keep your eyes and ears open to anything you see and hear. Understand? I will, answered Queenie. But you've got a big task before you. You can be certain of this. If the mayor was murdered for what you called political reasons... Well, asked Brent as she paused. Well? It would all be arranged so cleverly that the small chance of discovery, she went on. I know this town, rotten to the core, but I'll help you all I can, and... A policeman suddenly came round the corner of the wall, and at the sight of Brent touched his peaked cap. Looking for you, Mr. Brent, he said. I'd heard you'd been seen coming up here. The superintendent would be obliged if you'd step round, sir. He wants to see you at once, particularly. Follow you in a moment, answered Brent. He turned to Queenie as the man went away. When shall I see you again? he asked. I always come here every afternoon, she answered. It's the only change I get. I come here to read. Till tomorrow, or the next day then, said Brent. He nodded and laughed. Keep smiling. You'll maybe play Juliet or some other of those old games yet. The girl smiled gratefully, and Brent strode away after the policeman. In a few minutes he was in Hawthwaite's office. The superintendent closed the door, gave him a mysterious glance, and going over to a cupboard produced a long, narrow parcel done up in brown paper. "'A discovery,' he whispered. "'It occurred to me this afternoon to have all the heavy furniture in the mayor's parlour examined. No light job, Mr. Brent.' 
but we found this and with a jerk of his wrist he drew from the brown paper a long thin highly polished rapier the highly burnished steel of which was dulled along half its length as if it had been first dimmed and then hastily rubbed i make no doubt that this was what it was done with continued hawthwaite we found it thrust away between the wainscoting and a heavy bookcase which it took six men to move and our deputy town clerk says a few days ago he saw this lying on a side table in the mayor's parlour his late worship observed to him that it was an old spanish rapier that he picked up at some old curiosity shop cheap you'll go into that and bring it in evidence suggested brent you bet replied hawthwaite grimly oh we're not going to sleep mr brent we'll get at something yet slow and sure sir slow but sure brent went away presently and calling on tansley the solicitor walked with him to wallingford's rooms during the next two hours they carefully examined all the dead man's private papers they found nothing that threw any light whatever on his murder but they came upon his will wallingford had left all he possessed to his cousin richard brent and by the tragedy of the previous night brent found that he had benefited to the extent of some fifteen thousand pounds End of chapter five